Boy, what sweet singing this morning. Good sound. If that don't prep your heart, uh, there's not much that will. And uh, thank you, Pastor Lovins. He is. Uh, uh, he has been an encouragement, and him, he and his family to our church. Uh, he has preached weeks of camp for us, and his family sang in our uh, tent revival the last couple years. And uh, we we love them dearly. We've known we've been around each other casually for uh, for a number of years, but uh, the Lord's just kind of brought us closer and closer over the last several years. And uh, I just truly love that. When I tell you I love Pastor Josh Lovins, what I mean is I love his children. <laughs> we have our family, we've kind of adopted all their kids and, uh, and his father, Pastor Gary Lovins. I'm going to tell you, uh, his, his dad is, uh, you, you heard him preach earlier this week, and uh, he's, he has preached often for us through the years. Last year, uh, Brother Josh and his family sang and Pastor Levin Sr. preached, and uh, he'll be back preaching for us again this year. And uh, these are uh, fa two families that we've always been uh, very close to, always better for having been around them, and uh, thankful so much for them. And uh, thank you, Calvary Baptist Church. Uh, you, you all, what it takes to do something like this for one year, let alone for 50 years, that, that, is, that is generational commitment. And, uh, and the people here are servants, and, and there is much work that has to be done. Even today, once uh, everybody pulls out of the parking lot, the church will work uh, probably tirelessly for uh, two or three days to get everything back uh, uh, cleaned up and following the meeting. Thank you so much for, uh, for all you've done, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Good to see people that we've uh, got to come to know through the years and uh, get to know and get to know a little bit better. Always good to be with uh, Brother Tony and Sister Tricia. Uh, when I say Brother Tony, he is my brother. And uh, he is another one that the Lord, in, over the last, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years, uh, brought into my life. I didn't think Jay Reed could be used of God for anything good, honestly. And you can tell him I said that, but it was through Brother Reed that, uh, that and uh, I met Brother Tony. And we have a, the three of us, and of course, Brother Ross, we have a very close relationship, uh, the four of us. We're all four preacher's kids. Uh, so sarcasm is our spiritual gift, and uh, growing up in preachers' homes, and and uh, I, it's always good to be. I, I love being around Brother Buster, but we try to time it to where we get to the meeting, to where we don't have to hear him preach. That's what we try to do. So, uh, but I know he skipped out this morning. He didn't want to hear me either. This is the point in the week where I know everybody's really, honestly. Last night was kind of it's kind of the climax, and everybody's ready to go home. And uh, th this is. Uh, you, at the end of the week, you, you always, what do you say that hasn't been said, not sure what to say or, or what to do? It's kind of like that blonde lady that came home and she went to pick up her mail out of her mailbox and a letter fell on the ground and she went to pick it up and then she, she, she stood there for an hour because she read the words, do not bend. Some of you get that later. I know, I know it's early, but, but I do believe the Lord has something for this morning. The wonderful thing about the Bible, there's always something more. There's always something more. I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. The Lord laid this on my heart, this message, and I believe it's what he would have for us as, as, uh, as we close out with the final services this morning. Genesis chapter 6, and I'm going to do to you what all the other preachers did. Let's stand one more time out of love and respect for the reading of God's Word. It's the only exercise we get all week. We, we, we sit all day, eat all day, lay around all night. And, uh, and then we, we stand up for the songs in the, in the reading of the Word of God, all right? Genesis chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse number 5. Of course, a familiar passage to us, the story of Noah. 
The Bible says this, and God saw, verse number 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every thought of all mankind, only evil continually, no break. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Would you turn a page or two over in your Bible to chapter 8? 120 years have passed. Noah has constructed the ark. The judgment of God has passed. Noah is stepping off of the ark. And we find that in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, his first act. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Did you notice in Genesis chapter 6 that God, that, the, that all of mankind had grieved the heart of God? Did you notice in chapter 8 that one man churned the heart of God where God smelled a sweet savor and God said in his heart, I'll never do this again. You know, church family, when we come to a revival meeting, we are hoping that God will revive us. And thank God that he does. By the way, we ought to come for that reason. We need to. But have you ever considered that maybe God's heart needs revived. I believe in the life of Noah. I want to take a look at the man that revived the heart of God this morning. Heavenly Father, one more time we ask for your blessing on your word, for your spirit of truth to come with his power and his fullness. And Father, it's been a full week. And, and Lord, we are almost in, in excess of how our hearts have been stirred and touched. But we pray that one more time, uh, now that you would come with Holy Spirit power and unction, and Lord, that you would, again, Lord, plead one more time and strive with that soul that is closest to hell that needs saved. And Lord, we thank you for how you have touched our hearts this week. Father, we pray that as we leave here, maybe we leave, Lord, with a touch for yours, and we'll give you our thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. I'm so glad to hear that uh, that uh, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. I'll, we'll take any victory we can get. You know, in Genesis chapter 9, God established human government, and human government began with one man and began with a Christian man, and it was established on the sanctity of life. Because in the days of Noah, the earth was filled with violence, and, and now God required that if a man shed innocent blood, that innocent blood must be accounted for. And so I'm glad that we have taken a step back towards Genesis chapter 9. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. There's going to be more introduction than message this morning, uh, but I, believe, I need to lay a foundation just uh, for a few minutes here uh, to give us an idea of the magnitude of what is going on here. 
And there is, there's a contrast, there's a comparison uh, amongst creation that I think is imperative to understand just a little bit of a glimpse of what happened in the heart of God. We're always talking about our heart. And, and again, that we need to. We need to examine our heart. And our heart, the, the Bible tells us here, is evil and, and, and is desperately wicked, Jeremiah said. But we also, one of the things that touches our hearts when we get a glimpse into the heart of God, his heart for us and, and how uh, and how. Our lives of impact make a difference in his heart. And our Lord, in the, the Mount Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, verse 37, he gives us a divine comparison. But as the days of Noah were, so, also, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. That means that the generation that is alive at the coming of Jesus Christ will be just like the generation that was destroyed in the days of Noah. And I can understand we do not know the day or the hour of our Lord's appearing, but we do know the time and seasons. We are, not, we are children of the day, not of the night. That day is not to overtake us as a thief in the night. We ought not to be surprised. And I don't have to, I don't have to say very much uh, to convince you that we are most likely that generation that Jesus described. But there's also a difference of contrast here in the world of Noah and our world today. And by that, I'm speaking of the population. Our current world population is, is over 7.9 billion. We're just uh, close to 8 billion people. And I don't know how they uh, project those numbers to some degree. There's just a physical impossibility for them to truly know. Only God knows. Uh, but we're, we're around 8 billion people on the earth. Did you know that just 100 years ago, we, had 100, uh, we only had 2 billion people 100 years ago. Our world population in 100 years has multiplied four times. The population of the United States in, the, in, the early, in 1920, 100 years ago, was 100 million. We're over 335, knocking on 350 million. Now consider Noah's day. That Noah, in Noah's day, the average lifespan was not 70 years. The average lifespan was over 900 years, 912 years of age. The mortality rate was very low. The population rate was very high. Uh, the world was about uh, 1,656 years old. For more than a millennium and a half, the world had been increasing its population with very little sickness, with very little death. And, and there were 10 generations from Adam to Noah that are listed in Genesis chapter 5, of course, Adam being the first one. And uh, Adam, uh, Jewish tradition, uh, believes that Adam and Eve had no less than 60 children. I, I understand that Cain and Abel and Seth are the only ones that are mentioned, but it's obviously they had daughters and won't go into all of that. And that's, uh, that's just what Jewish tradition says. We don't know how many they had. But uh, again, the, uh, people were married longer, lived longer, had more children. Every generation knew Adam except for Noah. Adam had only uh, died uh, 126 years before Noah was born. Seth had only died eight years before Noah was born. So Noah knew every generation except for, his, uh, except for the first two. I mean, we think it's something if you, if you get to meet your great-grandparents or if a great-great-grandparent gets to know a child that will honestly never know, remember them. But imagine Noah knowing six sets of great-grandparents. Methuselah died the year of the flood. Now, creation, and uh, he would have known Enoch and, and, and others as well. Now, creation scientists, who are men much wiser than I, they have uh, created population models based on the fact of that 1,656 years 
uh, of life and, and the average lifespan of 912 and the low, the low mortality rate at that time. And they estimate that the world of Noah could have exceeded 135 billion people. Well, you think it's hard to find a house for sale now. A hundred and thirty-five billion people. I, I believe it's important. We don't, obviously don't know exactly the number, but I'm just trying to give you an idea to understand the magnitude of this event because I fear sometimes that we read uh, about Noah and we view his world as very small when in truth it was probably much larger, possibly as much as 17 to 20 times larger than the world that you and I have. And the only thing the nations of the world agreed upon is the fact that they no longer needed God. By the way, that, that's what the world is like today. Our technology, our comforts, our conveniences pull us further and further away from any need, any dependency upon God. Isn't it amazing how as the prophecies of Daniel are, are, are coming to fruition that now, uh, 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 that, uh, now it shall increase and many shall travel to and fro. Technology and travel. That the more technology we get, it is amazing. The more we have and the more comforts, conveniences, things to make our life easier and the less time we have. But the busier we are and the more we run about to and fro. And then everything is pulling at us. And people, what, what's big, people's big problem? Well, I just, I don't have time for God. People are so busy, they don't, God is not even in the conscious thoughts of the world and God's own people. We can barely pull out 20 minutes to read our Bibles and pray in the morning and think we've done something if we have. Now the demise of creation happened through some specific things that were said here in, in Genesis chapter 6. It says that God's heart, it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. Yeah. Grief is a love word. I think it's important not to overlook that. It is the sorrow that is brought on by the offense of one you love. Boy, and people today, we live in a very thin-skinned society. It don't take anything to offend anybody today. But can you imagine a world in excess of 100 billion people, everyone that God had ordained and given the gift of life, everyone that God loved, and every one of them only evil continually and that world other than Noah and his house rejected Noah as a preacher of righteousness for 120 years can you imagine a hundred billion plus people offending one heart the heart of God you know man is the only part of creation created in God's image in God's likeness as a free moral agent man is the only part of God's creation that does not follow the natural course of creation that rebels against God and you, you and to think about how a world of people got to the point where God was going to have to destroy it and yet at the end of it here comes one man with his family and makes a sacrifice and the Lord said in his heart, I will no more. And I think there are some uh, three simple things that Noah did. I'm going I'm, I'm to give them to you quickly because these are things that we are familiar with, but things that we need to be reminded of and conscious of. I just like the thought that one person can make a difference in the heart of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the guy that got up in this world today and is going to bring grief to the heart of God. If there was some way, we come to a revival meeting hoping God will do something for us, but to quote one of our presidents in the past, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country.
country. What about Christians? Not, not God, what can you do for me? But God, what can I do for you? Tell them, touch your heart today and revive the heart of my God. What a power that one man had. Imagine if an assembly of this size went out today to revive and to touch the heart of God. Well, first thing Noah did, something we hear often. Noah walked with God. It says it in Genesis chapter 8, or Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, where it says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but it says these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. One of only two men, only Enoch and Noah, are specifically identified in the Bible as walking with God. And obviously there are others, many others, that walked with God, but the only two that is specifically said to identify some distinguishing trait in their life is Enoch and Noah. I, I don't think there's any uh, I, I, uh, coincidence that Enoch being one of his grandfathers that Noah may have had that influence. And let me just say this, uh, in Noah's day, he didn't, have a, he didn't have a Bible to read in his morning devotions. And I hope you read your Bible this morning. I hope you spent time in prayer, and I'm sure that prayer was a part of it. But when Noah walked with God, if you follow through the Bible, you find that walking with God is always identified by walking in his ways. And where, where there was an entire world that, that was rebelling against God, there was at least somebody that was walking with God and walking, doing things God's way. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm thankful that we have something more and something else that Noah did not have, having uh, the inspired and preserved word of God. And, and that needs to be very much, by the way, you're not going to walk in God's ways without reading God's word. But, you know, but sometimes I'm afraid that we get to a point where the quote-unquote good Christians that reading our Bible and spending that few moments in prayer, it just becomes a daily duty that we just check off the list to get it off our back like we go to work or, or we mow the lawn or something else. Look, when these people walked with God, there was something about there was a constant abiding in the presence of God. They were always conscious of the presence of God that in everything that he thought, everything that he said, everything that he did, was he pleasing God by walking in God's way? They, they, didn't, have, they didn't get out their, their, their daily Bible reading calendar anymore. They didn't pull out a written prayer list. They had, to, they had to pray from their memory, from their heart. And I have a prayer list. And I'm thankful for it because there, there, there are people that I would, it's impossible to remember the number of people that we pray for. And I'm glad to have it. I'm going to tell you there's many days I, I don't, that, that I don't use it. I won't be, I won't be tied to it. Because I don't want to get to the point where I'm not praying out of the heart and what God brings to mind and, and, and keeping with the mind of God. And, God and, and, and do you understand that God created man to alleviate the loneliness, loneliness of God, that God came to Adam and walked with Adam in the coolness of the day? And sometimes we think, well, if I don't remind, I didn't, you know, it's the last night of the meeting, I'm tired, I got up late, we got to drive home, and if I don't read my Bible today, I won't backslide, I can ride from the overflow of the meeting. You know what, you're probably right, but have you ever considered the fact that maybe God can't get by without your presence for a day? That maybe it's not just about what you get from God, but it's what God gets from you? That, I think there's something to his walk that we're missing, uh, that people are missing today in their walk with God. Secondly, Noah revived the heart of God with his work. Look, we know that Noah for 120 years, uh, uh, Noah was given this work when he was 480 years old. If you do the math, Noah didn't have a son that was born until he was 500. 
And by the time those boys were old enough to be of any service, I, I mean, it's, it's not unlikely that he didn't have much profitable help uh, for the first uh, 30 to 40 years that he worked on that ark for 120 years. And, and he, was, he, he not only worked to build an ark in physical labor, uh, but 2 Peter 2.5 tells us that he was a preacher of righteousness. And at the end of that 120 years, that great ark big enough to save the entire world, I still believe that and everything in it. And, and, uh, and I believe that because I went to Cincinnati, Ohio and saw the replica, okay? That thing's big. Right, the day we pulled in to see it, uh, we took a group from our church, and we, you know, if you've been there, there's kind of a, you kind of pull in this lane, it's a little bit back, maybe, I don't know, a half mile or better down, and we pulled in, it's like, there was this massive rainbow covering the ark, we're like, how did they do that? We thought they had light, it was broad daylight, we thought they had light, I mean, it just so happened, the day we pulled in, there was a rainbow, and I mean, from, I mean, it just, it was like God painted it over that thing, massive. And Noah, Noah spent I know, 120 years preaching and laboring in a great work. And what result? Right. And sometimes you know what discourages us and the people that are living for God in the last moments of the last days is we see that we recognize the fact that we have a great work, but we're not seeing great results. And we hear people lamenting about the fact that we're not seeing the results that we used to see in the 1960s and 70s and in the days of J. Wilbur Chapman and D.L. Moody and Billy Sunday. That's not the point. It's not about the God never said that He expected great results. He expects us to do a great work. Right. Yeah. I'm thankful for Noah. I'm thankful for Jeremiah. Then one convert. Jeremiah's world was so rotten, you don't even have the, the, the record of a family. One eunuch. One eunuch who was not a convert of Jeremiah, but cared for Jeremiah. Not one convert under his ministry, and yet considered one of the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, and whose prophecies today we're watching come to life and thank God for them. But, I mean, it wasn't about, it's not about great, you don't have to have great results to do a great work for God. You know what you find in Genesis uh, 6 and 7? Three times you'll find these words. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. And, the, and Noah, the ark, he did as God commanded Noah. Noah over and over. And you know what you find? That once God came to him and he said, I want you to build this ark. And, and he gave him all the details. And God spoke to him. You know, you don't find another word from God for 120 years. Not one word. 120 years. Can you imagine? We're not even going to live post 120 years. Could you imagine working for God with no, and again, he didn't have a Bible to pull out for encouragement like you and I. Right, right. No word was it. He had been given the command. He'd been given the word. And you know what? Sometimes we just need to buckle down. And we're sitting there working. If God hasn't touched me today, I just don't know if I can go on. If I don't hear from God, let me tell you something. There's times we need to hear from God. And, I'm, and God speaks to us. And, and, and I'm thankful for his voice and his presence. But there are times, if you've been saved any length of time, you, you know there have been times and lengthy times in your life where, where heaven's gone silent. I was just talking with a pastor out in Arizona uh, that I was preaching for a few weeks ago. And he told me, he's a preacher, he said, I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible. He said, but right now, he said, it just feels like God is not speaking to me. And this is a good man. By the way, he's doing a great work. Sometimes God just wants to see if we're going to be faithful. There are times my dad, he'd, he'd tell us what to do, and he'd leave, 
And we didn't hear a word. We didn't have a cell phone. I'm, I'll be honest, I'm glad I didn't have a cell phone communicating with my dad that day. We just did, you, you just did your work, and when dad came home, that was either going to be a time uh, of reward or retribution. And look, sometimes we're so worried that I, I haven't, you know, I haven't put the penny in the light socket today and felt, felt some touch. Maybe God's just wanting us to continue with the work. It's a great work. And the Lord revived, Noah revived the Lord, obviously, in his worship. 371 days Noah spent on the dark. Well, let's think about Noah. You, you, you want to talk about a case of emotional PTSD today. 120 years constructing an ark big enough to save the world, preaching and holding out hope that at the last minute, when God is ready to shut the door, that somebody is going to change at the last moment. I think Noah's like us. You're just hoping that at some point, somebody, that God will just touch a heart and somebody's going to get on that. And not one person. I remember one year we had a homecoming Sunday. I personally invited over 100 people to come to church. 100 personal invitations. Not one person did. Noah's sitting there for 371 days. That rain begins to come. No one's ever been on a boat before, and he didn't have any adrenaline. Can you imagine the cries? I mean, we, you, I'm sure you've heard people say it, uh, preachers say it. I, I don't know if, if Noah could hear the people beating on that ark. I don't know if God protected them from that, or whether he heard it or not, whether he heard their screams or not. He knew it. There's no way he was not aware of it. By the way, he had, he had, he had family. He had friends. There are some, there are creation scientists, they believe that it's impossible for Noah to have built that ark without more help than his sons, that, that there were people that did not get on the ark that would have had to have helped construct it, whether he paid them in some way or something. Could you imagine helping build that? And, then not, I, and I don't know if that's true or not. And Noah, God, I've preached for all these years. I've, I've done everything you've said. How would you not feel like a failure? Do you know how many people get in the work of God and get bitter at God because the results did not turn out the way that they thought, expected right. them to? Uh, John, Jeremiah said that in the court of the prison in Jeremiah chapter 20. Then said, I, I will no more speak in his name. John the Baptist said that it, it, when, when he was in prison. Art thou he that should come or look, do we look for another? Uh, and I th if that would happen to men like Jeremiah and, and John the Baptist, I would imagine in 371 days on the ark, there were some days that Noah. And yet we get to see what was really in Noah's heart. Because when, that, when that, the waters assuaged, uh, uh, the rain ceased, and he began to, and they just floated aimlessly for month after month after month and sending out the raven and sending out the dove. And finally there's a day when the door is open and he, and he walks off the ark. And now what is in his heart to his, to his God? He is no longer a captive in that ark. Now he is free to move about his life. And what is he going to do? And the first thing he does is to build an altar unto the Lord and worship. 
by the worship, and you won't hear this in the praise and worship crowd, it always requires a sacrifice. It always costs something. And, then, and Noah showed what was in his heart. So it was a dedication to God. A dedication of someone, of something. And I believe Noah was once again kneeling before that altar. said, God, I did what you told me to do for the last 121 years. I don't know what you want me to do. And he lived another 350. But whatever it is, here I am. I'm your servant. I'm in submission to you. I believe he consecrated himself to the work of the Lord for the remainder of his life. Dawn, Noah wasn't get off the ark. He wasn't angry. He wasn't de depressed. He wasn't bitter. He came off and he worshiped and he was the man that reached out and touched the heart of God with his, what was in his own heart. A man who had a heart for the God who has a heart for man. And God said, he smelled a sweet smelling savor. And God said in his heart, that heart that was grieved by a world. Now with the whole world with one man, he said I will no more destroy this world. And God did something he never done before. Do you know, I, I believe the reason that man was created on the, on the sixth day and the very last act of creation was for two reasons. One, if one thing would have been created after man, was, after man had been created first, we would take credit for it instead of revolution. And two, man was the crown jewel. God took the least substance, the least physical matter and physical existence. He took the dust of the ground and formed man and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. And God and creation was done. Period. Amen. Now God can, God will take his creation and do supernatural things. He will perform supernatural signs and wonders and healings and raise the dead but it's always out of something that is already in existence. But in Genesis chapter 9, one more time God spoke ex nihilo and created something out of nothing that had never been seen before, and he gave the rainbow. I don't know about you. I just have to wonder, if Noah had not worshipped, would God make the Noahic covenant, one of the eight great Bible covenants? Would we have the promise of God that I will no more destroy the earth by water, that while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease? Would we have that promise if one man had not reached out and touched the heart of God? Would we have the rainbow if Noah had not, had not in his heart said, I will, I, the, the, I will sacrifice. God, I will reach out. I believe it's still possible to touch the heart of God. And these are not, these are not, the, one of the things that encourages me is these are not things that are uncommon to us or unfamiliar. Sometimes they're things that have lost their value to us because we, they mean, they mean more to God than they do to us. Uh, let me just say this this morning. I haven't been here all week, but I've, uh, but I've, I've been told that, that there are hands that have gone up this week for salvation that have not come forward for salvation. I'm just going to be honest. I was kind of looking around. While we were singing that song that Brother Daniel led a few minutes ago, not everybody stood. And God, has, and God is grieved because he loves you. And his spirit will not always strive with man in that he is flesh. And judgment is coming. There is a day, I promise you, there's a day everyone's going to stand before God. And God loves you and God gave his son for you. And one more time, 
This week, God is pleading with you, and it would, you know what would revive the heart of God today? You know what would revive the heart of Calvary Baptist Church and their labors and their effort? If one person came forward, or, that, or who, one or two or three, whoever was here that is lost without Christ would come forward and receive Christ today. There is nothing. There is rejoicing in the presence of angels over one sinner that cometh to repentance. It doesn't say the angels rejoice. It's the rejoicing of God, the reviving of God. I heard this story years ago. I don't, I don't even know who, who all the preachers are or where this was. Uh, it's just uh, the Lord brought it to mind uh, th this morning as I was uh, going over this message that, that uh, uh, there was a preacher that was uh, preaching in another church. And I, I, don't even, I couldn't tell you what state. This has been probably 20, 30 years ago. But he was preaching in another state. He was preaching in a Bible meeting for a pastor. And there was a lady that came to him after the service. A little old lady. And uh, up in years and bent over and all crippled over and, and uh, she said, and she came to this visiting preacher, and she said, preacher, she said, uh, she said, my daughter is in prison, and she said, my my daughter's not saved. She said, would you would you go would you visit her and and, and share the gospel with her and, and witness to her and see if she'll trust Christ as her savior? And he said, yes, ma'am, I'll I'll do that. And the preacher came up and uh, and saw that the lady as she was walking away from that gentleman, she said, he asked her, she asked her to go see her daughter, didn't she? He said, yes. He said, she asks every preacher that comes to me. Her daughter is one of the most wicked people that you will ever meet. Every preacher that goes into that prison, she just cusses them out. She is just filthy and profane. She has rejected time and time again. He said, it's going to be a waste of your time. He said, I don't want to go. He said, well, I told the Lord that I'm going. So he went to the prison. The preacher said, well, I'll go with you. And they went to the prison. And they went into that woman's prison, and they let them down. Uh, to, to, uh, down the, the walk and, and he approached her cell and uh, heard footsteps and she kind of used the mirror and looked out saw two suits coming, knew that it was some two preachers, she recognized your mom's pastor, knew the two preachers coming before they could get there before they were 50 feet away she started cussing them out and, and just filthy, filthy blasphemy I don't want nothing to do with Jesus Christ I don't want nothing to do with heaven, you tell my mother and, and the man stood there and he said, I told your mother I'd come here to share the gospel with you. And she cussed him the entire time he tried to say anything. And he finally he turned to walk away. But just before he turned to walk away, he put a little, took a little bottle out of his pocket and he set it on the flat bar between the bars in the jail cell. He turned around and walked off and she yelled out, what's that? And he said, he said, your mother said so. He said, that's the tears from her prayers for you. She looked at that bottle Say, come and tell me one more time. She gave her heart to Jesus Christ. You know what? God has put people in your life time and time again, and God's coming to you one more time. There's coming a time. God's spirit does not always strive with man that is not flesh. God does not take hostages to heaven. I don't care what Calvin says. It is an act of surrender of the free will. And nothing will revive the heart of God like that. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed this morning. I'm going to give the invitation to the